and welcome to the Let's Talk Transformation podcast. In this episode, we will be discussing happiness and its role in employee engagement, but not only. I'm delighted to welcome Matt Phelan, co-founder of the Happiness Index and author of Freedom to be Happy. Matt, welcome to the show. Hey, Susie, how are you doing? I'm well, thanks. Matt, you're the co-founder and the co-CEO of the Happiness Index that provides real-time employee tech to build stronger cultures. And I know now as an entrepreneur, and that's where you were first confronted with this subject of employee happiness or not, and that you've dedicated your career and probably a lot of your personal time to researching happiness and that much-used multi-layered discussion of what is happiness, what does it bring to oneself, to other people, but more particularly in this discussion to um, the bottom line of business. So in the past two years and since COVID, people, I think, have asked themselves that question more than ever before. (laughs) What makes me happy? What do I want? And that's when your book was written. And often I think happiness is one of those subjects that people think is fluffy. (laughs) So it's not tangible. You can't measure it. Why do we need it? even though it is a goal that everybody wants, whether they admit that or not. So let's start there. Um, What is happiness for you, Matt? And why is it so important? Oh, I mean, there's obviously two sides to everything, isn't there? So there's there's two elements. For me personally, Mm. what makes me happy is to be able to do the school run every morning. Mm. But also what makes me unhappy is doing the school run every morning. (laughs) Two sides of one coin. Yeah, what I mean by that is if if we went if we went to ancient Greece now, they would sort of have two words. They would have two words for happiness. One mm. we would understand as joy. Yeah. Up and down goes up and down. They, they would have another word for happiness, which I can never say it correctly, but like eudaemonia is is mm. how it's kind of spelled. And that is just like your underlying feeling of how happy you are. So the reason I feel like I can have two sides of the coin is because if you were to watch me on the school run, you'd see a really stressed out person, really <laughs> stressed out. And I hate to admit it, sometimes shouting down the street, telling mm. the to hurry up and so on. And you would look at me and you'd probably think that's an unhappy person. <laughs> but if my job didn't allow me to do the school run, I would be unhappy. So for mm. me, happiness is, is then, if I forward into the happiness index, mm. we have a phrase called freedom to be human. And mm. so think it's like Nike's just do it like it's our slogan and you hear great slogans all the time sometimes think people think it's a marketing thing but freedom to be human is where you get employee engagement employee happiness correct because I know right that school run means that I can't attend a meeting before nine o'clock mm. that's, that's my new life but it means I'm happy and it will go into the difference between happiness and engagement a bit but it, I know that me being happy at home leads to my happiness at work so I could drop that out. I could drop the school run out, but ultimately I wouldn't be as happy in life and then I wouldn't be able to be happier at work. So I'm mixing up a little bit of um, my personal happiness with work happiness, but the, the the two are absolutely connected. And one of the top four drivers of happiness at work is freedom to take opportunities. Mm. Um, and that for me as an entrepreneur is, is, is huge for me. Um, mm. But being able to balance that with my kids and my family life is, is what makes me happy. It's freedom to be who you are, isn't it? Whether that's at work or at home or both, if you are different at work than you are at home, which is a whole different podcast topic. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And we'll probably touch we probably will touch on a little bit of that, but you're right, like mm. being your authentic self and everything. It's become a thing because and we see the data on it because it is important. It's not mm. just the grand memes, like mm. 
bringing your whole self to work and all that is a really important conversation. It just gets a bit lost on Instagram memes every now and then. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned data. Just to come back to data. If we look at the neuroscience part of happiness yeah. and what happens in the brain with the with dopamine and oxytocin and serotonin, and how can we use the data we get from that understanding to explain happiness index and essentially engagement in the workplace? So what we're really talking about. So what we talk, the way that we explain it to our customers is happiness is what your heart needs. And engagement is what your brain needs. And the reason it's important to differentiate out is because they are different things that we require. Mm. Just like in everyone who's listening to life, they'll have different things that they need. Like they'll want to be getting value out of their work. They want to be getting value out of volunteering. Mm. Or we all need different things to nourish and, and help us thrive. So the reason that's really important from a neuroscientific perspective, if we think about purpose as an example, mm. most people, I ask them to guess is purpose and engagement thing or happiness thing most people when you ask them guess it's um to do with happiness because they think they almost put purpose into the fluffy same fluffy bucket that we know is mm. not but but they do mm. but actually purpose is, is linked to engagement is what we find from a data perspective which is linked to the brain because the brain actually needs purpose which is also linked to direction mm. so there's so much that we can learn. And once you know the difference of these things, it helps you to provide them. What it doesn't do um, and what doesn't work is setting targets. Like, let's say, because we know, like, purpose is one of the top eight drivers. It's one of the top mm-hmm. four engagements. Going around telling your, all your employees to be purpose-driven, it's not going to work, right, Susie? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, tomorrow be purpose-driven, please, Mark. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> So an easy an easier example of in the top eight would be psychological safety. Mm. You can't just tell someone to feel safe with you. That's mm. something you have to build up over time through their experience of working with mm. you. No matter how, even if you've employed a million people and all of them felt psychologically safe, the new person who starts, they don't have any history with you. So you start again from that basis. Mm. So once you have the data, you can then know where to work and and then you can start, and it's test and learn. Cultures test and learn all the time. Like when you're onboarding a new employees, what makes them feel safe? And, and as you said, Susie, we've just had a crazy two years. Yeah. Like onboarding people has been different for everyone. Mm. Well, even companies that, like I know some companies that have been doing remote first really well. I know um, you, you built your, your home office, Susie, you were telling me earlier. Yeah. So some people are already in that environment, but mm. it doesn't mean it was a, an easy shift for them because the world changed at the same time. Mm. So I just look at them all as ingredients that we understand which ingredients you need. But even when you've got the right ingredients, and I'm saying this is a really bad chef, I could, you could give me, you could post me all the best ingredients in the world and that doesn't mean I'm going to do the right things with it. You still need to work it all and, and mix it all up into your mm. own um, blend of your culture. Mm. Um, but, but once you know what they are, they're a starting point and you can nurture them over time. But I like the cooking analogy because it's three things there, isn't it? You've got to be interested in the outcome. So you've got to have a vision for what you want your Absolutely. dish to look like and then for it to taste like and what, how it's going to be experienced. Because you can quite easily, in the same tick box way, just tick off, okay, artichokes, courgettes, a few onions, tomatoes. Yeah. And it could taste disgusting, but if you're not interested, it doesn't matter. And I think there's a big subject of intentionality behind what you're saying and behind the whole idea of, of you know indexing happiness is that 
just because somebody feels psychologically safe today yeah. doesn't mean if I don't check in with that person for six months, he or she or they may feel safe in, in six months' time. But I could quite happily intentionally work on the assumption that they're still feeling safe. Yeah. So, and I, and I think that was easier to manage and see and read in a face-to-face environment. So I think COVID and the virtual environment has also brought this added filter, if you like, that makes yeah. this type of work so transactional if you don't get intentionally inclusive about how you run your meetings and how you actually speak to your employees. Have yeah. you seen that difference in the data that you're getting from the happiness index? Because I've understood it's over 95 different countries, is it? Yeah, it's over, over 100 now. So we definitely, oh, yeah. Okay. Of, of, yeah differences in different countries but mm. what, what was your question Susie was it have you seen those trends coming out in in the data from the happiness index in, in the fact that um it's harder since covid or should I say it needs to be more intentional since covid to actually yes. ask these questions around happiness yeah and it, absolutely and I just want to go back to one of your previous points mm. to connect this point you were talking about like wanting to cook weren't you in that analogy yeah. <laughs> Um, and the reason I, I, I try to pull that bit out, that's a really good way of putting it, which I've never put it that way before, Susie. But often I ask the CEO when I meet them, do you care? Like, do you care? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you care about happiness? Because if you've read my book and you've mm-hmm. seen all the research, right? Yeah. At this point, it's like, it's again, like you might know that eating healthy mm-hmm. is better for you. But if you don't care, like, and, and, and the reason I, I pull this forward mm-hmm. is we do see we do see that many employees in many companies are still worrying about it, they're still struggling with it and so on and so on and it is harder because the number one driver of, of happiness is positive relationships yeah so anyone who's been in a long distance relationship and I, I know you don't you don't live in the UK so I imagine you've got lots of people from the UK that it's probably harder for certain relationships to stay positive when you yeah. don't see it regularly so you will understand that from personal life mm, absolutely it's the same in work, right? Mm. Um, but, and then this is where the massive but comes, it doesn't mean it can't be done. And this is yeah. why I bring back to your previous point. Because if you care and want a relationship to thrive in a remote mm. way or whatever, you mm. can. You just have to adapt the way that you do it. So a good example would be if you've got 100 employees in the UK and you've got 10 in France and 10 in Germany as a European and pan-European business, if you organise a massive Christmas party and you just make it London-centric mm. and those other employees can't come because they've got childcare and stuff like that, you've not adapted to the new way that the world is working. So you have to you have to sort of unlearn and be a bit more creative about the way that you've done stuff. And mm. I was thinking about this at the weekend. I was thinking the problem with the future of the work debate is most successful entrepreneurs, business owners, senior leaders – experience came in being successful before the pandemic so they're going to have a bias towards Mm. what they think no matter how much data they look at what they think the future of work should look like and if we take some of the psychological research which says some there's different estimates but Mm. of our actions are are based on unconscious process so we may be saying that we think it's better for people to all go back into the office, but where is that where is that data set coming from? And I don't mean data as in like data from mm. happiness. I mean data as you as an individual. That what I mean is experience. Mm. So people have to question their their own insight because the world has changed because everything 
whether they were where they were successful and where they were collecting data, aka experience, the world is different. So I would mm. I would encourage all of your listeners to question their own uh, own assumptions, not not to second guess themselves or doubt themselves, but to really think fresh and think right. I've got 100 employees. What is the best way to help them thrive in in this culture? Mm. And I think taking that step back, I mean, it's a great opportunity for leaders, but indeed for everyone to start asking the right questions as opposed to having the right answers, if you like. And I think, you know, this is about letting things emerge. Nobody really knows what hybrid working should, should in inverted commas, look like. And as you said, it probably looks very different for very different people in very different cultures. So I think, you know, questioning one's bias and assumptions is critical for that. But it's also critical for bridging the gap between cultures for me. And I'm very interested in whether you think there's a cultural difference to this subject of happiness. I mean, having worked multiculturally and living in a different country, there are clearly cultural gaps in humour, in ways of working, communication, in lots of different areas. And I'm assuming happiness is the same. But I, I don't know what you're seeing from your research. What we, what we encounter, I suppose, is the best way to put it, is that engagement is more westernised, mm. happiness is more global. Mm. It's a human emotion that we all experience. Mm. The context does change, though, and certain cultures interpret it and are more comfortable about talking mm. about it. So France is, can be quite difficult to talk about um, yeah. happiness at work because mm. we'll often start a meeting and we'll say to people, because we're so comfortable talking with it, because we know it from a neuroscientific perspective, to ask some. For us, it's a scientific question to mm. ask someone what makes you happy at work. But not everyone spends all their day working on the science of happiness. So yeah. some people, and, and for France in particular, um, sometimes it, you can look like you've offended someone by asking that question, because that's a personal question to do yeah. with home. Mm. Now, the reality is that the neuroscience and, and it doesn't change, like we're all human beings. So if we're happier at home, we're happier at work. If we're happier at work, we're happier at home. Mm. But what does change is how comfortable people are having that discussion. Now, that can be a massive barrier, Susie, because if you take the top 11 economies, and I'm, mm. not, I'm, not doing, I'm not doing causation here. I'm not about to link two facts, but I am just going to make an observation. France, in the top 11 economies in the world, in the happiness index database has the unhappiest employees mm. which is interesting because it's one of the countries in europe that we encounter the biggest challenges of talking about happiness now all we, we're all human beings mm. so underneath it um, and this is why when we were starting out i was really lucky to meet the creative director from pixar and i asked them why has pixar been so successful and they said, because you can watch any Pixar movie, and you could probably test this on some of your French friends, Susie, mm. that, that can't speak English. Mm. Try and find people that don't speak English and watch a Pixar movie with them. Um, and that Pixar designed movies so that you don't have to watch with the language turned on. So you should be able to watch a Pixar movie and understand what's going on emotionally throughout the movie without the, without the sound on. Because well, I didn't know that. And, it, and the reason they've done it, it's because they only they only use um, in their movies global emotions, happiness being one, anger being another, and so on and so on. You could pro pro probably guess the rest. Mm. So they're ta we're talking about global things, but the business context can change from country to country. And France is a whereas if you go to Denmark, people are absolutely fine 
there's a word I, I can't say it correctly, but I'll just say it how it's spelled in Danish called Avesglæba, and it means work happiness. Mm. So it doesn't mean work happiness. Two words. It means work happiness, and it's it's something that we don't have in English. Mm. Uh, but that tells you, doesn't it, that yeah. in that society, that is normal. And even like when we go to America and we're presenting the Happiness Index, which for, for context for your listeners, it's an employee engagement and happiness platform. When we're in America and the sales team are there, they have to give all the business case stats at the beginning. Like mm. if your employees are happier, they're more productive, they sell more, they're more creative. You have to make that argument at the beginning of mm. a pitch. It, well, the first time we did it in Denmark, they couldn't really understand why we were presenting those slides. And the reason they couldn't understand is because, like, well, we know this. This is obvious. Yeah. This, is like, this is like presenting stats that you need to eat food or you need to water your plants. Yeah, like, or like collaboration. You know they have a word uniquely for collaboration that isn't yeah. collaboration. It means community, community collaboration spirit, and I cannot pronounce it. But yeah. uh, my sister lives in Denmark, and so she pronounces it better than I do. But I was really surprised to find exactly that. They have a word that's linked to something culturally they understand and they experience and that we don't have a word for. Yeah. Yeah. So to answer your question, happiness is a global emotion. We all Mm. experience it, but some of us in the work context are more comfortable about talking about others. But as a general rule, the world is changing more um, at, at work and people are understanding it more. Like when we're in India, they talk about they talk about it much more confidently than we do in the UK. That's mm. exactly they even talk about. I did a presentation there recently and presented all our stats and everything. And someone said, "Oh, that's karma," and I was like, oh, "Okay, can you explain that to me?" And what what I understood is, like in the West, we see like a almost like a comic book version of karma, which is like life's a life's a bee. I won't swear on your um, <laughs> like you know, if you do something bad, something mm. bad you and so on when i when we've presented our stuff in india in this area that what they the way that work people at work have explained karma to me is what you put in is what you get out mm. so they see it more and if someone is listening from india they're probably thinking well this is obvious but i do think in the west we have a different interpretation we think like if you treat badly you get treated badly or if you do good you get good whereas it's much simpler in the terms of what you put in is what you get out which goes back to seeing all those neuroscience themes like psychological safety, positive relationships. They're just inputs. They're inputs, inputs. And, and an output of that um, can be increased happiness. Mm. Uh, but you have to focus on the inputs and they take time. So it, but taking the happiness index globally has been, been such a learning curve for us. Um, and every day we're, we're learning mm. new stuff. And, and so I'm hearing that there is national cultural differences to how it's spoken about and how they deal with the subjects, even though it's a global human emotion, let's put it that way. And then I think you've got work culture on top of that, haven't you? So it's often very linked to national culture, but where you get big multinationals, of course, you get this melting pot of how they speak about things or not. So how can business leaders use data and the data science to shift the organisational culture? I mean, I understand the convincing piece of it is tangible, this is what's happening. But I'm, on your platform, you must bring out other metrics that allow them to visualise progress in a different way. Yeah, so, I mean, the Happiness Index looks at the entire employee experience, so it looks from onboarding to offboarding, mm. and even okay. in some cases alumni. But if you really think about it, and we go back to the community point that you mentioned earlier, Susie, mm. 
all a platform like ours is doing is is allowing a company to to listen to the needs of the employees. That's all it is. And, that, and when you're in a smaller company below fifty people, I hate the word SME because like yeah. you get massive companies that are called SMEs. Yeah. I think if you're above fifty employees. That's a that's a big company, as mm. far as I'm concerned. I know there's reasons for calling something a large company an SME, blah blah yeah. blah. But from a social perspective, a group of more than fifty people is a lot of people. And when you're below 50 or below 100, most people know each other's names. They know a little bit about each other. You might know your children's names, mm. cat's names. So the bonds are really tight. So in, in that group, you'll get varying degrees of people that have got social intelligence and that are, that are better at understanding how people feel. And you'll have some people that are less so, but that's how community works, isn't it? Some people yeah. are great on the EQ, some are great on the IQ. Mm. Now, what the Happiness Index platform does is it allows you to understand how everyone's feeling that organization on a larger scale. So if you've got like a thousand employees or 500 employees, you can log in and go, all right, this is how everyone's feeling. There's been a massive drop in psychological safety in the last two months. But then not only see there's a drop, be able to click on it and go, why? And then de- and delve and, and, and look into the data. So it allows it allows people to visualize their culture, but then it allows them to interrogate the data to find out in real time what's going on, just like you. And there's a lot of buzzwords in there, like real time. But in reality, <laughs> real time is like what you would do in a company of 50 people, because if you're walking around the office, you could tell everyone was feeling unsafe. You just start speaking to people. Mm. But mm. if you're a CEO of a company with 5,000 employees, you can't speak to everyone. And the higher you are up in an organization, the more filtered the view you get. Of course. No matter how open you are and how much you say you've got an open door policy, the CEO will always get a slightly filtered view. Mm. Uh, this allows you to have an unfiltered view of what really was going on in people's heads. And then mm. you have two choices. You could, um, we always get asked by our customers, what should we do about it? And I would say you've got two choices. There's only ever two choices. You can do something about it or you can not do something about it. That's it. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> you've got the information in front of you. And, and it, and sometimes acknowledgement is just doing something about it yeah. because you might acknowledge there's a problem. You might not be able to fix it because you may have like, like one of our clients is Canary Wharf PLC. If all the employees say we want to move from Canary Wharf PLC, it's quite a big job to move Canary Wharf, Wharf mm. PLC somewhere else. So also acknowledging when you can't do stuff, that's still action in my mind. But yeah. you can either, once you know about a problem, you can either acknowledge it and try and move it forward or you can put your fingers in your ears and hope it's going to get better i think i know which one i'd prefer to do susie yeah <laughs> we're back to the cooking analogy aren't it you can just put yeah. in a little bit more salt and hope it tastes okay or you can have a look at everything that you've got as ingredients and create maybe a different type of dish because i think you know that even you're right as the higher up you go and the bigger the organization the more filtered your understanding is or your your perception is even if you go on the go look see tours or you go on listening tours and you listen to your people, there will still be a certain amount of uh, filtering going on as opposed to, you know, oh, how happy your people are. And, you know, so many people wear masks to work because yeah. they feel that they need to. And, you know, that's also a, another dis- discussion. But yeah. so that CEO will only see that. So it's interesting to, to look at what you found when you analyze the drivers for employee engagement. I mean, I remember the example around the unhappy and happy hospital staff and. Yeah. and how you got to an understanding of the drivers of employee engagement. Can you just walk us through some of the drivers for employee yeah. engagement? So let's have a look. Let's have a look at, I'm trying to think of a good example, Canada and America. Mm. 
So in so if you take two neighbor neighborly driven two neighbor countries, um, the number one driver of happiness and engagement yeah, in the USA and Canada is positive relationships, mm-hmm. as in every country. Mm-hmm. But the second driver changes in between Canada and America. So in in the USA, the second driver of of the top eight is actually an engagement metric, which is clarity. Mm-hmm. In Canada, it's feelings of acknowledgement. So interesting. Uh, it's really it is super interesting because we've already touched on purpose being an engagement, the top mm. four engagement metric, but we've also now got clarity, which when you think about it, we, we actually, we'll move on from the food analogy for a second, but we, <laughs> we, we use a car as an example of the difference between engagement and happiness as well, which is the engagement is like the sat nav, it's all the direction stuff. So mm. purpose and clarity, like if you are going on a journey as a company or a car or a family, knowing where you're going to go <laughs> and the purpose behind why you're going to go there is really important for the brain, like mm. to build a lock on and mm. help yourself get there. Um, and then things like positive relationships, like who's in the car with you, it doesn't matter how much clarity you've got and how much purpose there is about where you're going. If you don't mm. like the people that are on the, um, yeah. on the, in that car with you and not to, to, not to go delve too deep into like subjects like war, but there's been a, a huge study out recently about the importance of happiness in soldiers, which is not a subject that people would talk about too much, and and, and is quite it's quite hard to talk about because it brings up it can bring up a lot of concerns across the world for people. But that armies have known this for years around the word morale, yeah, uh, which is you can have the most, and, and I'm sure when I give the examples, people will start to think of situations around the world but you can have the most equipped army in the world but if they really don't believe in the purpose and the operation and what they're doing and all those people don't want don't want to be there and they come up against a less equipped army you can see scenarios um Mm. in the world right now so again Mm. don't detail of those yeah happiness and engagement are very different and they interplay between each other um Mm. regularly all types of organizations we've already touched on hospitals We've touched on armies, we've touched yeah. on, on normal workforces like yeah. law firms and accountancy firms. But at the end of the day, we're all human beings. And a lot of what we're doing is subconscious. So even like in the example of the hospital, um, but this applies to every business, happiness impacts accuracy of task. So that may be subconscious. Mm. Uh, but if you think like it, it's a small percentage change in how you do your job, that can Im- impact outcome in, 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 any, in any industry. Of course, like psychological safety, where, of course, Amy Edmondson uses also examples from the healthcare situation in terms of, yeah. you know, being safe enough to speak up or happy enough to speak up. Can you walk us through the three sources of happiness that you talk about? So flow, meaning and pleasure. Yeah, so for us, we actually talk about the, the, the bit before that, which is emotions. Mm. So people see emotions often at work as negative. So I've been described in my career once as too emotional. But what people are confusing here, just to talk about the source, is mm-hmm. they're confusing um, an emotion with an act. Mm-hmm. So if someone steals your work at work, it, it's normal to feel angry about that. To punch them in the face in most countries on the basis of your anger is, is an illegal act. You can't mm-hmm. do that. You can't just go around punching people. But then when someone was to do that, someone would say, oh, that person was too emotional. 
they're not too emotional. They, they, their behaviour has gone beyond what is culturally acceptable. acceptable. Mm. But to ignore the emotion is to ignore a data point. So the reason I want to pull that together for you and for the listeners is that we know the number one source of happiness is positive relationships. Mm. You can't fully form a positive relationship without sharing your emotions. Mm. Why? And I'd encourage all our listeners to think about their own personal lives. I would encourage all of you listeners to think about a relationship that you've been in. It could be work. It could be private. It could be a marriage. It could be, it could be a friendship. It could be a sibling. That you thought you had a positive relationship until the first time that you encountered a problem. Now, if throughout that relationship you haven't shared positive and negative emotions, mm. you don't have a relationship that, that is ready to weather a storm because you've mm. only had a relationship in good times. Mm. So if that's, that's the source of positive relationships is emotions. Mm. So what I just want to bring through is there's, it, we start with emotions, then it's positive relationships, then it's happiness. And we know happiness leads to performance. Mm. and all those other things so if you think of it as like a whole circle actually if you're not allowing safe spaces like psychological safety for people to share their emotions mm. can't actually perform at work so i just want to bring you around the the latest stuff we're seeing all the way around mm. back to performance and and i think emotions i mean so there's lots of things that we can say about emotions but one of them is culturally they're not spoken about in the workplace yeah. Second, we're still on the myth that vulnerability is weakness, yeah. although it, that's changing. But often when I work with people on emotions, they don't have the vocabulary. So they might be wanting to say something is something other than good or bad. But there's, there's a literacy piece there in yeah. terms of actually expressing the emotions. Now, that comes from national culture, but it yeah. also comes from working culture. And only now are we starting to open up that conversation of, like you say, you're too emotional or don't cry at work or yeah. particularly in Britain, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, fine. And this yeah. social mask that we wear that means that you never express and therefore you never let yourself feel the emotions, which is cutting off yeah. the flow of happiness, isn't it? Absolutely. And I did a TED talk on this. It's, if anyone wants to look it up, it's called 12 Million Lessons in Happiness, the Super Happiness Suit with Inbuilt Emotional Deflector Field, which is probably the longest title for a TED talk. <laughs> but maybe um, you could just explain it briefly. So we talk, we touched on the concept of a mask, but the more I looked at our data and the more I worked in happiness, the more I realised the more sophisticated human beings are mm. at masking their I've used the word again, disguising their emotions because the face is only one part of it. Mm. And, uh, and it's always been my theory, and we've been interrupted by a cat once, but I, <laughs> uh, my theory that animals are better at communicating than human beings because animals are just better uh, at saying how they feel. If they're hungry, they let you know. If they're tired, mm. they let you know. Mm. Human beings are really good at blocking them out, but it's not just a mask. It's a whole body thing it's a whole mm. body concept and and what i mean by the emotional deflector field is you can have someone that's just been through a bereavement it could be someone really close to them and they're at work the next day and someone says how are you and they're just about to go into big pitch yeah absolutely fine and they have to put their whole body and everything through that now there there are things like resilience which are the other side of this which are, are also an important part of the equation but what I do believe, and I believe this as an employer myself, that 
you and your colleagues sharing with each other what's going on in your life allows you to work better as a team. Absolutely. Uh, because unless the happiness index is a complete freak, I know that pretty much every person I work with the happiness index has got something going on, on in their life right now, something quite serious. Mm. Now, it's either the happiness index is a complete freak and it's just everyone happens to have something going on, or the reality is we're all human beings and we've all got something going on in our lives. That might be to do with mums, sisters, children, friends, personal staff, health issues. I just don't know a person in my friendship group or a person that I work with that doesn't have something going on. But in lots of companies, you'd think, oh, yeah, everyone's, nobody's got, everyone's fine. Mm. <laughs> and the reason I think that's important is because it's, you don't have to pry. Like People need to feel psychologically safe to offer up information about themselves. Um, but once you know like, what something, something's going on, it could be, for example, a specific date. You may be working with someone and you know that their parent passed away on a particular date. Like You know that when that date comes around, that that's not a great day to mm. be putting them in a big pitch. Mm. Now, you could say, well, that person should just get on with it. But when you know stuff like that, it's simple to move things around to yeah. accommodate people like it, you could just ignore that and go, well, we'll just do the pitch because that's when the customer wants to do the pitch. But if the customer is reasonable, you can always move dates around. You don't have to tell them why. Mm. Um, but if someone really wants to work with you, they'll help you shift dates and stuff. So I'm using quite a tactical example there. I do believe sharing emotions ultimately um, is the right thing to do. Mm. And I think if we can nudge the systems like that, because the systems keep it going don't they, in terms of, I call that the sort of compare and compete as opposed to care and collaborate. And what you're yeah. discussing here is, for me, care and collaborate, which is how it can work so effectively where people can thrive. But we're very much in the compare and compete busyness of get it done, whoever has the best results is the strongest, and you do yeah. it in whatever way you can. And, you know, you don't necessarily take people with you, but you get results. Yeah. Um, and for me, that's the big shift. And COVID has just opened a big lens on that for me where people are like well if okay well I'm not happy and if the system won't change then I'll change my system type of thing absolutely absolutely and I think the two things to add in there is that just from a uh, an engagement and happiness perspective there's lots of people that think they've got what you'd call a thriving culture mm. what they really have is a competitive culture where if we see high engagement with low happiness what you get is competitiveness yeah. also if you get high happiness but low engagement, you also get unfocused. Yep. So you need high happiness and high engagement to, to create thriving. But what happens in that competitive environment is you just get the super chickens concept where a few super people with the numbers achieve mm. and the quiet, there's so many amazingly brilliant, quiet people out there that just slowly leave the business. In the UK, we're seeing it in nursing at the moment. Like, mm. I've read a stat that more nurses are leaving nursing as, as basically as they recruit new nurses, nurses are leaving at the same yeah. rate. Yeah. Terrible, absolutely mm. terrible. But you just get this slow bleed. And when people say, oh, they get the numbers or they get the results, at what cost? Because yeah. it's a long-term bit. And I think companies used to better get away with it because there wasn't technology. So you could just burn through employees, replace them, replace them, replace them, replace them, replace them. Mm. Now, Brands are getting exposed for that because of websites like Glassdoor. Yeah. So, um, and Glassdoor can also have some real toxic aspects to it because that some people do have vendettas against individuals mm. and companies, and, and mm. there's that bad side of it. But mm. ultimately, if you are consistently treating employees bad, 
um, that's going to come out and it's going to impact your brand and, mm. and see that now just like TripAdvisor mm. uh, employees versions of that mm. and I just think the great thing around you know the tech platforms like the happiness index is that it's bringing objective data to allow us to look at trends but also to allow us to understand what's happening and what isn't happening which is also important and to drive culture change in essentially Sweet. a different yeah, type. Hello, cat. <laughs> so for those of you who aren't watching and who are just listening, I'm saying hello to a gorgeous black and white cat. <laughs> yeah, and, and for us to be able to understand, you know, where we can drive further culture change and also a different type of leadership. Because like you say, you know, I think you can we we all have a duty to create the conditions out of our own personal agency for Absolutely. our happiness, but also for the happiness of other people and not just to tick a box say, oh we're happy and but yeah. to actually move the bottom line with humane productivity as opposed to numbers driven productivity yeah and, and the thing is Susie when I chat to CEOs on their own and we've walked through a lot of the stuff here today mm. haven't we like the yeah. science and we're getting on to like the ethical reasons mm. but even when you get past all of that I always just say to people it's much nicer working in a company where yeah. people are like even even in the fact you know the company because they're happy, you're gonna make you're gonna make more money, it's gonna be more productive, mm. you're gonna be creative, people are gonna stay longer, less recruitment mm. fees, less burnout, spending money on therapy, all these mm. million like it's actually nicer. Yeah. Like I mean, that's it's not it's not the only reason to do it, but if you're a CEO and you're doubting whether you should do it, just be selfish and just do it because who wants to work at a place where no one wants to be? <laughs> it's like, yeah, exactly. And it's more it's fun. Yeah. yeah more fun you can actually have fun and, and sort of and different perspectives I think that's huge particularly today when the markets are changing so fast and technology changed so fast if as a CEO you don't have different perspectives all the time yeah. then you we come back to the assumptions discussion of questioning my own assumptions on markets or, or employees or just in general what I think so I yeah. think that's really important Matt, time is running. Um, I would like to know, however, if you have one last uh, nugget of wisdom for our listeners, for people who are thinking, mm, okay, how do I go about looking at happiness in my business or in my team and starting to build an understanding of what we need to do? Okay, I'm, I'm not going to give the obvious answer, which is sign up for the happiness index. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they can do that anyway. Yeah, they can do that anyway. I'm actually going to give a non-technology answer, which is just sit down with four or five people in your organisation and just have the same chat that Susie and I have just had. And, and ask like, like simple questions. Just ask people, like, what makes you happy? And ask them about times when they've been unhappy at work. And flip it around sometimes. Like, mm. Flip it around and say, think of a time when you were unhappy at work. Like, what did that do to your life and your work? Like, when you worked somewhere and you hated it, where, how did that impact you? Did it impact your work? Mm. Did it change the way that you turned up? Did it change who you were? Did you bring, when you bring your whole self to work, are you bringing your best work? Mm. To the, um, and so on. So I would just encourage people to have the same chat that Susie and I had Get four or five people just to ask them what makes them happy and also ask them what makes them unhappy. So we like for me, well, partly because I'm an one of the reasons I'm an entrepreneur and run my own business because freedom is really important to me. Yeah. But yeah. perhaps if I'd worked somewhere where I actually felt freedom, perhaps I would have brought the innovation of product development and so on to that company. I didn't find it myself. I was didn't want to leave and set my own company up. I just didn't feel it. So perhaps. 
Are you missing out on particular employees? Mm. So just sit down, have a cup of tea. Yeah. And and start the conversation and just start imagining if people were happy here, could we recruit more staff? Do you think we'd get more recommendations? And then ultimately, we started by having the conversations. I wonder if happier employees equal happier customers. The obvious place to think is a cafe or a shop, like if yeah. you walk in that person serving you. But think about it from your business. Whatever you, whatever someone's business there, start asking yourself questions like, if the team were happier here, do we think it could impact customers? And if we think it could have impact customers, where could it help? Mm. Like, and just start looking at the PL, like, mm. would it mean we have less recruitment fees? Would it mean people we've got higher retention rate? And just Start that conversation. That's all, all people need to do, Susie, to start mm. with. Okay, so just have a different conversation and get curious is what I'm hearing. Yeah, ask your CEO. If you're the CEO, ask yourself. Ask the CEO <laughs> Just ask. Find out what makes you happy. And even that, that start, even that conversation, you'll notice that when you ask people, they normally smile and they normally look up to the right. Because mostly people in a normal day, unless they've met me, haven't really considered it. No. So I'm going to finish up. Susie, what makes you happy? I think helping people and providing and building a powerful community, I, I, that makes me happy knowing that, you know, I've got my tribe. That really makes me happy. Yeah. So if we were working together, that would massively help me understand you. Mm. Um, and I've shared freedom with you. So I would feel if me and you were running a business together, let's say we were co-CEOs and we just mm. shared that, that would just help me really zoom in on what our pro- role definition was going to be, how we're going to work together, and so on. Because mm. the two things you've said are hugely important to growing a business. So, yeah, I mean, that's fascinating just, just hearing that. So people just need to go and do what we just did. I was just thinking that the possibilities are endless. Yeah. <laughs> right? I'll just leave them with that open field of possibility. Matt, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your research and your thoughts on happiness and engagement. Where can people find out more about you and the Happiness Index and what you do? So the easiest place is www.thehappinessindex.com. If you're interested in the product stuff, just book a demo with the team. Um, If you're interested in the research, the book's called, that Susie mentioned, is called Freedom to be Happy, The Business Case for Happiness. And on a personal level, you can add me on LinkedIn and send me a message. Excellent. So I'll invite our listeners to do that. And I will also put the links that you've just mentioned in the show notes. Thanks, Susie. Okay, thank you. Thanks for a great conversation. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if so, head over to iTunes and give us your review. And it's bye from me for now and see you soon for the next episode of Let's Talk Transformation. Transformation.